Hey everybody, you're listening to episode 78 of Two Views Movies Podcast. Want to ring the bell? All right. Ding, ding. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Two Views Movies Podcast, a spoiler-filled podcast from Kansas City, Missouri, by two guys who love watching movies almost as much as we love arguing about them. I'm Garrett. And I'm Carson. And we are doing a retro today, but it's it's a different spin on a retro. We, uh, we threw out a poll on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and we let everybody else pick what we were going to watch. Um, now, we, we gave them the, the four options to pick from. We tried to be nice, tried to pick... Some of the top movies of 2009, I think it was sort of like a, a half commercial success, half critical success kind of Venn diagram of sorts. I, I think we gave them four good options, don't you? I think so. I think uh, so. Ten years ago, that was our, our throwback. And I think we'll, we'll keep, keep that up. I think we'll go 15 years next time and see what movies were, were then. Yeah, we, we kicked around a bunch of ideas. We I think we thought about five years. And then when I looked back at the five-year list, I'm like, uh, that, that feels a little too new. <laughs> so yeah we ended up offering up avatar inglorious bastards watchmen and zombie land so stuff everybody has at least heard of probably most people have seen um i mean considering avatar is i think the highest grossing movie of all time i assume most people have have seen that yeah and i thought we'd get more votes for avatar only from the standpoint of they're making the new four as we speak yeah, agreed. But I don't know how many people actually like know that. It. Like, I, well, <laughs> well, a couple of things. I, I think I don't know how many people beyond like movie buffs know that they're getting ready to churn out four Avatar sequels. Um, so that was one piece of it. And then the other piece is, I think a lot of people feel the same way I do about Avatar, which is you kind of scratch your head at the fact that it was so successful. Like for something being that successful, to me, it's had zero longevity. Like I don't really ever want to watch it again. And when we even put this out there, I remember texting you on the side and being like, I really hope Avatar does not win. Well, I don't know the last time that I've seen it. So I'd like to, I, I was only curious of how it holds up from the last time I've seen it. I am with you on that. But I think the weird thing is, think about the other big, huge blockbuster movies from r- recent years or since then, you know, even the whether it was even The Dark Knight, uh, which would have been a year before it, but the Marvel movies, um, some of these other things, that people go back and rewatch them a lot. They don't hesitate to go back and rewatch them. But with Avatar, I feel like there's just sort of like, I don't know, it was like it, it, it came out at the right moment and the right time. It made a bunch of money. And I think there's a huge chance that the sequels crash spectacularly. But doing no homework whatsoever on it, um, that was one of the first really visually stimulating almost entire world of cgi that actually looked good so i think that had a lot of the appeal to it yeah and it was kid friendly right so you mean it's basically fern gully um redone it so was fern could, gully <laughs> so you could take little kids to go see it not that little kids don't go see marvel but i mean there's probably some families that that hesitate a little bit at some of that but with avatar um, maybe they got away with it so not to turn this into a 
a full podcast on Avatar. But yes, I was right, like, I was okay. saying, <laughs> people are saying we did not vote for Avatar for a reason. <laughs> I know. <laughs> glorious bastards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to talk about Avatar anymore. So we'll, we'll go ahead and stop it. Watchmen, I didn't think would have a chance because I think it's, a, it's an acquired taste. Uh, Zombieland was the one I thought might sneak in, especially again, uh, kind of like what you said. Uh, they just announced a sequel for it this week as we put out the poll. So I thought, oh, maybe people want to hear us talk Zombieland um, because the sequel is coming out. But nope, everybody pretty much across the board, um, whether it was Instagram, uh, Facebook, Facebook had a few votes and then there were some stragglers that were spread out. Instagram, everybody was kind of even uh, two thirds on everything. But then Twitter is really where Inglorious uh, 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 tucked down 55% of the vote. So that's really what swung things. And that surprised me because we have a lot of uh, comic book heavy people on uh, on Twitter that that listen to the show, and that's uh, that's where I thought Watchmen would have more of a really Watchmen in in Zombieland. I thought would have more of a lean there, while Facebook is more the casual movie watcher. I think, yeah. And I thought they would lean more towards Inglorious Bastards, but but no, I was I was proven wrong, especially yeah. with the Watchmen and HBO show coming out. I thought, you know. Watchmen might have a, a more of a, a presence there. Mm-hmm. And also Watchmen because it's a Zack Snyder movie and with all the DC talk and just everything around it, right? There's, I agree with you, the, the comic book threads of Twitter and then, um, you know, the Zack Snyder whole DC angle, Watchmen being a little bit ahead of its time. Um, it's basically what got Zack Snyder the DC jobs, I would assume. So yeah, I, I was surprised that one didn't come up. But here we are. Yeah, so now we are we are five minutes in and we're ready to actually talk inglorious bastards which you know i I don't know too many movie people that don't like at least some components of twin tarrant oh my god (laughs) twin 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 carantino (laughs) jesus uh i don't know uh many movie people that don't at least like something about quentin tarantino movies they might not love them they might not like all of them but Typically, generally speaking, Quentin Tarantino's got a big following. So I'm interested to to talk a little bit about this one and I'm I'm more curious to hear what other people think about it since they since they're the ones that asked us to to watch it. I'd, I'd be curious to get any feedback on on what our thoughts are. Let's uh go ahead and do our, our usual letterbox blurb so everybody can can be on the same page if by chance you have not heard of or seen Inglorious Bastards. It is a story about in Nazi occupied France during World War II. A group of Jewish-American soldiers known as the Bastards are chosen specifically to spread fear throughout the Third Reich by scalping and brutally killing Nazis. The Bastards, led by Lieutenant Aldo Rain, soon cross paths with a French-Jewish teenage girl who runs a movie theater in Paris which is targeted by the soldiers. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, that's a fine blurb. There's a lot going on in Inglorious Bastards, and, and I think that, that cuts through maybe like a fifth of it. Um, which is probably the best you can do in a one paragraph blurb. I mean, I I think you could have done it with one line, you know, the Jewish American soldiers that are hunting Nazis, and then yeah, leave it at, leave it at that, and then the rest of it's just there. Yeah, I kind of I, I'm surprised that the letterbox blurb doesn't take on the angle of um, the fact that this sort of like retcons history and is basically the bastards going on a secret mission to to kill Hitler and stop the war. Right. <laughs> I think people need to need to know that aren't history people. This is not what happened. <laughs> right. Right. But I, 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 lo- I don't know why I feel like I have to say that. But <laughs> right. <laughs> this this is not what happened. Right. Just like Overlord was not what happened. Uh, this is not. Well, what maybe happened. that may have happened. We, we, we don't, don't know that one for sure. 
Yeah. Uh, so it was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, and the cast has Brad Pitt, Melanie Laurent, Christoph Waltz, Eli Roth, Michael Fassbender, Diane Kruger, Daniel Bruhl, and B.J. Novak from The Office. Yes. So, w- what are your thoughts when you went back and revisited? I don't know when the last time you watched Inglorious Bastards was before this. Um, what were your thoughts going into this? It, it had been a while, um, and so I was I was excited to to throw it in again. Um, I think you do have to be in a certain mood to watch Quentin Tarantino um, just to kind of get in his mindset because these are none of his are short movies. I mean, they're pretty, pretty invested into his world. And then uh, he's got kind of a different kind of mind. And so you had to be prepared for that. Um, All of his and I want to say all and I'm looking through the list here. I think most of his are done in chapters. I can't think of I haven't seen Django for a while, but I don't know. Is that done in chapters as well? Um, you know, off the top of my head, I do not remember. Uh, and the same with, uh, I don't remember if Kill Bill 2 is broken into chapters. I know Kill Bill 1 was. Well, I assume Kill Bill 2 would be. Yeah, I again, it's don't. Quentin, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and when, you, when you say chapters too, right? I mean, it's, they're not necessarily in order. These were. In Glorious Bastards, they were. Yes, I'm, I'm, across his movies, they're not always right. in order. Right, right, but he 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 definitely loves the the chapter thing. Yeah. So, but um, no, I was excited to see it. There, there are definitely parts that I was waiting for. There, there's some of my favorite movie scenes in any movie in this, and so I was anxious to get to those. Where were you at, like uh, when you when you first saw Glorious Bastards? Did you like it? Did you love it? No, I loved it. I loved it when I after I saw it the first time. The uh, the funny thing that you mentioned that is Quentin Tarantino movies aren't in my mind ranked towards other movies it's only his movies for some reason <laughs> you know when i when i think about it it's uh well that wasn't better than you know and then you just fit it into his only movies i never compare it to a christopher nolan movie you know is that because of style or is that because like they're so good that they're just kind of they sit out from everything else well, because see, I don't, I don't do that with Christopher Nolan movies. I know, I know you do. Um, you at least look at it compared to his his work. But I think it's just because his style is so different, and that he has he has a lot of really good movies on his, of what he's made. And so I think just comparing him to himself, I don't know. I, I hadn't had that revelation until right now. And so yeah. So safe to say though that when you saw Inglorious for the first or second time, however many times you've seen it, you you really liked the movie. It's not something that you were kind of on the fence about or or indeterminate. You you liked it. Oh, agreed. What about okay. you? Oh yeah, totally. It it was um it's kind of stupid good. It's one of those where just everything about it works. Um even for people that don't like Quentin Tarantino, um so like I I, I could totally see somebody who hates Pulp Fiction, liking Inglorious Bastards. I could see somebody who did not like Kill Bill liking Inglorious Bastards. So it's so bizarre to me because I agree with you that there's this bucket of Tarantino movies and he does have a style and he does have an approach, but sort of the subject matter that he tackles and the, and the way in which he tackles it, it can be very different from movie to movie. So uh, it, it never surprises me. Like Now, if you liked Pulp Fiction but hated Reservoir Dogs, I would scratch my head a little bit. I could definitely see people liking some Tarantino and not liking others. What I will say about Inglorious Bastards is, to me, it feels like his most accessible movie. So there, you yeah, still get... Okay. How much of that's Brad Pitt? 
Well, a lot of it is Brad Pitt, but you know, Brad Pitt also doesn't get a ton of screen time. It's not like it stars Brad Pitt, in my but, opinion. But I think him and Kristoff make the movie. I mean, he, oh. I, I, I like to see the breakdown of when they're at, how much they're actually on screen, because I feel like it's a lot less than what I'm thinking. But yeah, th- those two yeah. are, are the movie, I think. Yeah, totally, 100%. But I also think it's a little bit about the storyline, so everybody can kind of relate to World War II, to Nazis being bad guys. Um, while this does have very, very signature Tarantino things in it, like excessive violence, kind of some drawn-out dialogue scenes, I feel like it's a little bit muted compared to every other movie, to where you still get it, but he's not going overboard with it. So that's what I mean by I feel like it's the most accessible. Like the plot doesn't turn people off. Um, you're not, you know, going super heavy on tangent dialogues that Quentin Tarantino will do. But his visual style is still there. His flair for certain shots and certain music, it's all there. It, it, I guess the one I would relate it to, which is really weird, I guess, but I'm going to make this comparison anyway, is if you like Wes Anderson movies, to me, Grand Budapest Hotel was the most accessible movie he's ever made. And that is, it's got all of his signature styles and flares and shots, but it's more accessible from a story standpoint, from an acting standpoint, and he kind of tones things down a little bit. And I felt like that made it more accessible to mainstream people. And I feel like that's what Inglorious was for Quentin Tarantino. Like if I was to give somebody some, Inglorious is the one Quentin Tarantino movie I would hand to people generically and say, okay, try this one. Like if I didn't know your tastes. No, that's fair. Well, and, and it goes in order. You know, people just like to watch it straight through. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's not being overly crazy with his styles. Where Kill Bill, he jumped back and forth a little bit, and he has, um, you know, his love for kung fu in there, which is a niche thing. Pulp Fiction, you get, you know, some drugs, and it, it's a lot of dialogue and some really weird things happening in that, which we all know about. So, you know, it. That's what I mean. Inglorious is his most accessible movie to me. Um, but at the same time it's really arguably one of his best movies. Agreed. So yeah, I think to get back to your point, I loved it when I walked out of the theater. Um, and, and I'll agree with your other point too. It's all about Brad Pitt and Christoph Waltz, those two guys, and especially Christoph Waltz. Uh, he's even kind of fallen off a little bit. Um, I don't know why, because he's pretty good in everything that I've seen him in. Now he's, he's amazing in both of his Quentin Tarantino movies. But this one, when he came out of nowhere, I don't think, I can't remember the last time I've seen a performance by somebody who I had never heard of, never seen or anything, and just walked out of a movie being like, that was one of the best performances I have ever seen. Well, and I, and I agree completely. Like that's, uh, he, he stole the show the, the first time I saw it. And it was, I, I think since then, it's, it's hard to put him in a, I think people struggle with the fit. Like he's done some, some comedy, but that's not, that's not where I want to see him. And I don't know if it's, I'm just comparing it to that. So what he doesn't do as well, um, like he, he can do it, but kind of the menacing, you know, German, that intellectual, I don't know if it's because, oh gosh, I've seen him do that. And he's just doing his character in, in glorious or, or what, but that's, it just fits so perfectly in this role that if he does it again, it's copying. If he does something new, that's not quite right. Yeah, and I think that his performance is so great. I mean, not only, I mean, let's set aside the fact that he speaks like four or five languages fluently in the movie, but the fact that he's menacing without like being menacing. It's 
I can't even describe it. Like it's never, he's not being your stereotypical bad guy. I can't even, I'm struggling to come up with the words to describe how that performance works so well. You know, the opening scene in the farmhouse is one of the best scenes I think of any movie ever made. And it's so tense. And he's not really like antagonizing the farmer, even though he knows that the farmer's hiding Jews under his floor. You know, it's, he's having this conversation, but the threat is just like his presence and the things he talks about. It's great writing. It's incredible writing, to be honest. And then combine that with a, an acting performance that could actually pull that off is is a great combination. Yeah, that scene's amazing. And I don't think many could have could have pulled that off like he did. No, there's everything about it. The way it's filmed, the way they... Uh, I love the subtlety of how he asks the... Because they're speaking in French. And then Hans Landa knows that the odds of the, the Jews that are being hidden speaking English are probably zero. So he flips it over to English after he asks the guy, and then they speak in English. And then when they go when they go to the end, he's like, "Well, I'm assuming because you know I haven't heard anybody squirming underneath the floorboards that the people you're hiding don't speak English." And right, but see, the, but the funny thing is, is he can be so intimidating, like just by drinking a glass of milk. Like he he asks for another glass of milk in that scene, and it's just building up this tension. And Tarantino's just letting it build. Right, he's not. He's not having Landa be antagonizing to the farmer or being a, a loud German Nazi who you think would just come in screaming and stuff. He's he's letting it all build. You know, he, uh, Landa's filling up his pen with ink, and there's just all this tension. And then they do something as stupid as uh, the farmer starts to smoke his pipe, and Landa asks if he can smoke his, and he pulls out this comedically big pipe. I was just about to say that. I go, I haven't decided if I like that or not. <laughs> of It's almost slapsticky of this pipe's bigger than he is type of thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of, I'm one-upping you, but it's like, okay, this is, this is a huge pipe. Right. And that's what I mean by this being so accessible, but still Tarantino, because that's something Tarantino would do is have this guy who's supposed to be this intimidating detective Nazi pull out this comedically large pipe. And then not only does he happen, but, you know, he smokes it and he keeps carrying on the conversation and the intensity somehow isn't lost. It's not like he pulls it out and you're like, oh, well, that just killed the whole scene. It, it somehow works. I don't, it shouldn't, but it does. Yeah, I can't add anything more to that. I just love that. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. a great opening scene. Oh, man, it, it's brutal. Like, you have no idea what you're in for with any of that. And it just, it lays everything out on the table. You kind of know, um, I mean, it's really setting the stage for Landa. because. Without that scene, um, it would be interesting to see how they would have introduced Landa, but that is uh, uh, that is an amazing intro for a character, and it just set the stage for the whole movie. Well, if, I, if I'm remembering this correctly, his next scene is in the restaurant, right? Um, that, that feels right. Like, he doesn't make an appearance again until then, um, because I think after, after that opening scene they flip over to the bastards um, right. with with brad pitt so yeah i think that's right and and what's great about that right that that restaurant scene is the last time you see landa at the farmhouse uh he's opting not to kill uh shoshana who's running away and then when you see him at the restaurant it's that another it's a second intense scene where shoshana's at the restaurant and he shows up it's oh this movie's so great yeah and she knows it's him and yeah yeah, we can get to that that scene in a bit, but let's uh, so let's flip over to the other guy that you said steals the show because I think you're entirely right on this one too. So after we leave Landa at the farm, we flip over to 
Uh, I believe we go straight into Brad Pitt giving his speech to the bastards about his scalps. Yes, he wants his scalps. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, what are your thoughts on Brad Pitt in this movie? Oh, that's perfect. Uh, Absolutely perfect. Every from beginning to end. I mean, I I was trying to look through his filmography to see, you know, he's he's got a lot of good roles. You know, it's the Tyler Durden and etc. But but this is this is just perfect. I mean, his, his accent across the board and just the every line that he he delivers is just right on yeah and some of his best lines are these little one-off lines that it's not when he's giving his big speech about wanting nazi scalps because that is hilarious and it's small stuff like that where he's pronouncing it nazi yeah or uh killing um, nazis (laughs) yeah and uh so visually i think his look is great the mustache the hair and he's got that scar where they never acknowledge it right but you can tell he's been He's had his throat slit. Right. Um, so good. But like, you know, it's when he's giving the speech and then he'll drop in something like, uh, you know, about uh, running moonshine up in the hills of Kentucky, which we just call trying to make a living. It's stuff like that. And I'm sure that that's what Tarantino wrote. So it's great writing. But the delivery is so perfect. And taking off the uniform and and oh. and all that. Every Every piece of... Like truly, I don't know that he has that many lines, but all of them are great. Yeah. Um, and the uh, no, it was the one I was thinking at the end. Um, oh, <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. Him speaking Italian. <laughs> yeah, grazie. <laughs> the the whole Italian scene is is it's again it's Quentin being Quentin, but it, it's perfectly done. I thought you were actually going to say at the very very end where um. Hans Landa is finally surrendering and he takes the gun and just shoots the other guy right. <laughs> and land Landa's like, what are you doing? You're crazy. I made a deal for that guy's life. And Brad Pitt's like, yeah, you know, I, I, they don't care about him. They just care about you. He's like, you're going to be strung up for this. He's like, nah, he's like, I'll probably get chewed out. I've been chewed out before. I've been chewed out before. That's <laughs> <was> fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brad Pitt. Um, looking back on it, I, I don't understand how he wasn't, nominated for something um i know i you know with the way the academy awards work you know you have to run these for your consideration campaigns and you have to kind of decide whether you want to run your guy or guys or whoever um in what categories you want to run them in and my guess is they thought waltz had the best chance and they threw him in supporting but looking back on it i think you could have made an argument that you could have thrown waltz into lead actor and put pit and supporting actor and made it run at both of them no i agree i agree they both had or vice versa i mean I, again screen time i don't know what the the difference is there yeah screen time I, I don't really know i was just more coming at that from um i feel like walking away from it if i had to pick a lead of the movie it would be waltz just because his performance is so incredibly impactful and that's not a knock on pits it's just pits has a little bit more levity to it um, yeah, and, and it, it t- t- tends to be a little bit more comedic and spotty here and there. Whereas Waltz is really, I feel like he's the presence on the screen every time he's there. Yeah, and he he starts middle and ends it, and so yeah, I I think you're right. I I would have gone that route as well. Yeah. Okay, so let's see what what haven't we talked about in this movie? I know we've we've mainly just been gushing over Quentin Tarantino and uh, the acting, which is really what this movie ends up being about, but the story is, is, is really good all the way through. I, I don't think it ever, let me back that up. It does slow down in a few parts for me. So if I have one criticism of the movie, 
from a story perspective. It's that there's something about the um, Shoshana and Friedrich Zoller storyline that while I, I, by no means do I not like it, but there's something about it that every time it's on the screen, I'm like, okay, yeah, but I want to get back to uh, Landa or uh, Aldo Rain, the bastards or the Nazis. Like the, I get that Shoshana and Friedrich Zoller need to be there because it sets up the theater angle, which is how they get Hitler there. But that's the one piece of this movie that just doesn't quite click for me. And I wish I, I wish I knew why. I just think may, maybe it's just a byproduct of the fact that I think the other elements of the movie are so damn good that that stuff just quite isn't to the level. I don't know. What were your thoughts on that? No, I, I 100% agree. And I was thinking the same thing uh, the first time they met. And I was like, gosh, you know, I, I remember this storyline and I was like, could this be deleted? And I was like, well, that's kind of uh, the plot line that gets them all there together at the end. So I guess you can't really delete it. Um, and so I was, I was going back and forth with that. And then I was thinking, you know, most Tarantino movies have a one subsect that I feel is very boring and I can't wait to get back to the other part. And like in Pulp Fiction, and I know people are going to have a problem with this, but I hate the Uma Thurman, uh, John Travolta plotline. I think that that's the worst and most boring part of the movie that I just I want to get back to Sam Jackson and and uh, and Bruce Willis and, and everything that they're doing. You know, I just the Uma Thurman part just didn't matter to me. And I, I want to just fast forward through that. And that's how I felt with this. Um, so when I when I saw that. You uh, you had the same thoughts. I I completely agree. Again, not that it's bad because I I agree with you on Pulp Fiction. Um, not that I I, I don't like the Uma Thurman and, and John Travolta. I actually really really like those scenes, but I, that doesn't mean that I'm not looking more forward to getting back to the Butch scenes with Bruce Willis or getting Sam Jackson and and uh, John Travolta back together. So, and I think it's a product. Of the other scenes are just so good that right these are kind of throwaways. So you're more waiting for the, uh, <laughs> the good scenes. Yeah. And what's funny is it's, it has nothing to do with like the performances or the acting because, you know, jumping back to a scene we mentioned earlier when Shoshana, the actress, when she's in the scenes with Landa at the Nazi table with Goebbels and everybody else like that, she's a good actress. So it's, it's not her and it's even not Daniel Brühl, you know, Baron Zemo from Civil War. It's not them. <laughs> it's just like you said, it's the, it's the fact that we're kind of being taken away from the main storyline and, and having to go set this other thing up. Agreed. Okay, so there's there are a few other things I, I think we gotta obviously mention. Um, so let let's go back to the the restaurant scene that we just touched on. <laughs> that one, I would have a hard time picking which scenes I think are the best and the most intense out of the farm scene in the beginning the restaurant scene in the middle where she runs into Landa again, and then the basement scene. Um, those three scenes are so good and like borderline, I don't know if maybe iconic is too much, but I mean, they are fantastic scenes. That, like It's rare that you get one good scene like that in a movie, and this movie has three of them. Well, obviously, I to me, the, the farm scene at the beginning is is the best uh of those um i think it brings it back to the uh restaurant scene but i don't think it's as intense um and the basement scene was 
you get it was it was it was really good but again that farm scene is just something else oh yeah no i'm with you if i if i had to stack rank them i think i would that would probably be my one two three it would be the farm scene the restaurant scene and then the basement scene but i guess my point larger is that there's not too many movies that can give you three quality scenes like that in a single movie no i agree i agree so I think I think we touched on the restaurant scene a little bit with the fact that Landa shows up and Shoshana knows who he is, but he doesn't know who she is. And again, it's it's Landa being really, really threatening. But all he's, if you think about it, all he's really doing is sitting there eating, uh, uh, what's he eating, like a, a pastry or something and drinking coffee like and a smoking a cigarette? Or something. Yeah. So he's not being threatening like what you would think in the traditional sense of the word. All of the intensity and all of the worry is just driven by the fact that we know who Landa is and we know who uh, Shoshana is, but those, and you know, he doesn't know who she is, but I guess you watch that whole scene wondering if he really knows who she is because, you know, he plays things off so well in that opening farm scene that you don't quite know whether he knows and he's just toying with her or whether he doesn't know. And you don't know that until he walks away at the very end. Well, there's a lot of power moves that he does, you know, in that yes. scene. Nope wait for the cream, you know, you know, th- 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 things <laughs> yeah. like that as he's talking. And so it shows that he has control over the whole situation, you know, and, and obviously she's terrified, you know, but he does subtle things like that to say, you know, I'm, this is who I am type of thing. Yeah. Like there's the one part where he, they're talking and I think he says something like, he, he basically pulls the, I, I had one more thing to say. Right. And it, it kind of Quentin Tarantino lets it hang there for a few seconds. And then he just goes, Oh, but I, I forgot. I have no idea what I was going to say. And right. it just kind of ends. And you're like, <laughs> Oh, God. And what's great is uh, her performance. She does a really good job of, like, you can tell she's supposed to be nervous, but she's hiding it. And then when he finally walks away, she takes like this big gasp of air, which it makes it feel like that's exactly what the audience was doing. Like, Okay. God, we got through that. Right. So the other piece I want to dive into. This is the first movie I remember seeing Fassbender in. Now, I know he was in 300, but I feel like between 300 and this, he didn't really do much of anything. Um, but I loved Fassbender in this movie. He's not in it a whole lot, but I, I, I think he was great in it. No, I thought he did good work as well. But you're watching it a second time, you know he's screwing it up. And so you're just like, <laughs> you're like cringing every time he talks. You're like, that's not going to go well. Yeah, and you find yourself being like, why are you being so pushy, Fassbender? Like, right. just let this stuff go. Because he's the only one. Like, I mean, Hugo Stiglitz is a former Nazi officer. So if anybody, I think, has to be worried about being seen or having their cover blown, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, how many people are going to know this guy because of what he's done? So, but it's it's uh, Fassbender who uh, um, yells at the kid who then gets the German officer to come over. And then it's Fassbender trying to rush that guy off, the officer off, that pisses him off again. And then it's Fassbender who holds up the wrong three that gets their cover blown. And is that a thing? The German three? I don't know. I've never looked at the the genuineness of that. I, I have read stories where, I don't know if people still do it, but I know Fassbender said that shortly after the movie, um, people walking on the street, whenever they saw him, they would just hold up the German three to him. <laughs> well, see, and, and some people have do three with... Uh kind of the okay sign you know the pinky mm-hmm. through the middle finger and i didn't know if, yeah i didn't know that, that was regional you know yeah i i 
I don't know. I'd be interested to know if that's true or not. It's a great way to to write it in there because I mean they already kind of talked about his weird dialect, so things were building up in that scene, and then um, it's kind of cool that Tarantino uh, has the cover blown, and you don't really find out until a little bit later what it was that actually finally blew the cover. Because I remember watching it the first time. He holds up. He says, "You know, three glasses in German," and holds up the three, and they show that shot of the the SS officer. And you can just tell by the look on his face, he knows now. Right. And I remember the I remember the first time watching it being like, wait, what? What what just happened? I don't I don't get it. And then finally you get it a little bit later and you're like, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that's a good scene. Hugo in that scene is awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. Just everything about it, he's just pissed. He he wants to kill everybody in that room. Yeah. The only thing so I love that whole scene. Um, I mean, starting from the bastards being in the house next door before they even go down to the bar and they're all in there talking and Brad Pitt's going off on a tangent about <laughs> fighting, fighting in the basement. In the basement. <laughs> Didn't agree to fight in no basement. Yeah. And then uh, his, I forgot, I think Fassbender says something like, well, she's not a military strategist and Brad Pitt fires back. Well, you don't got to be Stonewall Jackson. No, you don't fight in a basement. <laughs> so good. But then there's even the interaction between, Fassbender and Stiglitz where he walks over he's like I need to just know that you're going to remain calm and Stiglitz is just there sharpening his knife he's like do I not look calm and he's like fair point and walks away yeah but he and then he didn't just shoot him he went straight for his crotch like he could have saved oh yeah Fassbinder if he shot him in the head or something but he just yeah he went went off and gunned him down that way yeah, the the building of tension in that whole scene is good because you know they're not expecting any Nazis there, and they go there, and there's a bunch of Nazis, and then you think they're in the clear once they get that boy to go away and go sit over at the other table, but then the other guy comes up from behind the wall, and then they have to play the the headbands card game, kind of. I mean, stupid stuff like only in a Tarantino movie would you know playing that game where you lick the card and put it on your forehead would that ever be intense but he somehow turns that into a really really terrifying scene yeah and i like the uh, if i'm gonna go out i'm gonna speak the kings <laughs> I speak the kings that's fantastic yeah, i like that uh, that transition that he did there yes and then uh, there's a good place in hell for people who waste uh, a good glass of scotch right right but yeah you're, the only thing that, that's bad about that scene honestly is that it, it's it's sort of over the top in the sense that uh, you know, Stiglitz could have put one in the guy's head and ended it right away, but instead they shoot each other in the crotch. But it's a totally Tarantino move to do. And then it's crazy how quickly things escalate from there. Like everybody just stands up and starts shooting, which you would think the people at the table next to him be like, "Wait, what? What in the hell? Why are Nazi, <laughs> why are Nazi officers shooting each other?" And as drunk as they were to be able to find their guns, you know, that quickly. Yeah. Okay, so obviously Quentin has his own uh, style, you know. And when they introduce Hugo and they have the voiceover with Sam Jackson, uh, I just felt like that that's clearly Tarantino throwing his name up there in the 70s font, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you have uh, Samuel Jackson doing the voiceover piece. It was almost like and and he does this kind of again in in Hateful Eight where he just does a voiceover because if doesn't quite know how to put it in and i don't know if it's that or that's just how he likes it but it doesn't mesh with anything else in the movie and i just i just don't like it, it sticks out like a sore thumb and I, I cringe every time i see it and i know it screams tarantino every time that happens but i just i didn't like that at all oh man really 
and I and you with your seventies kung fu, whatever. I figure like that fits up your alley. I, I think it's perfect. I, I and maybe part of it is that I feel like there was probably no good way to seamlessly work in the background of Hugo Stiglitz. So to just cut to it and just be like, all right, here's how we're gonna do. It. I really I have this side story that I wrote of this German Nazi officer who leaves the Nazis but goes around killing Nazi officers. How do I weave this in? And instead of trying to give it its own chapter, which it wasn't enough to do that, um, I'm just going to do this hard cut um, and do a voiceover. Just give you a little narration of, of Hugo Stiglitz's background, then we'll bring it right back to the scene. I thought it was, I thought it was completely fantastic. I, and I even love, there's, there's something, I don't know whether he did this on purpose or not, but when it flashes up Hugo Stiglitz, it's like, if you look closely at Hugo, it kind of jars. It's like they didn't just pause the scene. It's like they paused it wrong, but I think he did it on purpose. But yeah, it's a, it's a great little segue because then you get to go see all the various ways that he's killed people and how the bastards recruit him. I, I think I personally, I, I love that scene. I, I love the style. Everything well, I like learning it. about Hugo. I think it's a cool, I, I don't know why he's killing Nazi officers. They never kind of mentioned that of why he killed 13 officers. I think the assumption is that he's, he doesn't agree with what the Nazis probably became or whatever, or that he's just anti-Nazi. Which, which, which I'm fine with, but it's the, the flashing his name on the screen. And you could have had, you know, the Apache give him his, the same voiceover, you know, as he's, because t- he's basically telling the story of, of all of his men, right? In that scene. Yeah, he's, he's going know, around introducing him by name but you know hugo is the only one that gets the big background but i think the sam jackson stuff is a is a really nice touch i i'm not sure i mean i love aldo rain but i'm not sure i want to hear him doing a narration like that i i really really like the sam jackson overlay i i didn't like the uh and really it's the the cut with his name thrown up there 70 stock because it's because it's nowhere in the movie you know there's it's not, it's not something that you style throughout the movie it's just an abrupt you know this is the only time we're going to do that. And I know, I know that's I so, know, but that's what makes it so, so good. Quentin. And so I know that's his thing, but I don't enjoy when he does that. <laughs> oh, I, I love that. Uh, every time I get to that part and that, that little guitar riff hits right when it comes up, it's so perfect because you don't expect it. Cause he's going around introducing the guys and then Hugo Stiglitz gets his own, his own little side story. It's fantastic. Negative. Negative. <laughs> although I although I think the best part of that scene, which he's so over the top, but Donnie Donowitz, the bear Jew, the everything about that scene is so funny with him. Um it, what Aldo's saying to the guy, <laughs> like he's like, Have you heard of the bear Jew? And the guy's like, Yeah, he beats people to death with a stick <laughs> and Brad with a club, goes, yeah. Yeah, with a club. He goes, he beats their heads in with a baseball bat is what he does. <laughs> and see, and okay, so that, that <laughs> takes it to the next scene there. Uh that's one of my favorite parts of the movie when he comes out and then he says, You get this for, for killing Jews and he's like, No, for bravery and then he bashes his head in. And that and that so it sets up the 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 bear jew you know that's who he is you know and really cool and then he goes off on this this weird you know knock it out of fenway you know type stuff and it just that i didn't like that part but then he, he brings it right back into the rest of the movie he's this calm collected i'm gonna kill people you know yeah it, it's just a weird twist of character for like 10 seconds of him oh uh, i love it though I just want him to beat him with the bat and then move on to the next guy. Well, yeah, but it's because like that's his thing and he gets so into it. And 
uh, I mean, the fact that he's yelling about Ted Williams goes yard and Teddy ball game and it, and even uh, Aldo Rain kind of acknowledges it. He says something to the effect of, you know, watching Donnie beat Nazis to death is the closest thing we get to the movies around here. Right, which is fine, but but him going off on the, his baseball rant after the fact, like I was, I was fine with him just beating, oh. beating the hell out of him with a baseball bat, you know. And then it's like, oh, that's weird. oh man, because you're setting up this intimidation factor, you know, for him, and then he loses it all. I think when he does that, in my personal, oh, my no. personal opinion, no way, man. I, I love it's the because rant. then you go right back into the intensity of the next guy, you know, next guy up who's pointing to the map and whatnot. Well, right. But I mean, I, I think, you know, you do have to be a little messed in the head to be going around beating people to death with a baseball bat. So I think the fact that when he does it, he, like when he comes out, he's all calm and stuff, but right after he does it, you know, the, the adrenaline's going and he just killed somebody with a baseball bat. So he's, he's going nuts screaming about baseball and stuff. Uh, it, it fits perfectly to me. It's like this explosion of, of energy and, and anger and all this stuff right after he kills the Nazi. I mean, I, it fits. If he'd stayed calm and collected, well, I'd been like, uh, well, I mean, I, I think he wasn't necessarily calm, but he, sh- he showed his anger of, you know, he, he pointed straight to the Iron Cross. You know, you, you, you got what he, <laughs> why he was doing it and what his motivations were, you know? Yeah. You got... You I, just, I, li- I like the, yeah. uh, the burst of energy. Uh, it's, that whole scene is great to me about pointing out the, the people that are there and the guy trying to not give in and... Everything about no, it, I, I love that. that that's, that's probably my favorite scene in the movie is, is that with it just a few changes there. I mean, all, all those great. And then introdu- introducing all the characters, the, the German officer, the first one, you know, that, that takes it to the head. And the second one who, you know, gives it all up, you know, immediately, you know. Oh, actually, that. actually, that's the third one. Oh, right. The other one gets shot in the head. Yeah, they, they don't even ask him any questions. <laughs> he stands up and the guy shoots him. He's like, ah, oh, bring the other guy over here alive this time. <laughs> but, yeah, but no, I, I love that, that scene. It's just there's a couple of things. That is like, it like takes you out and then tries to bring you back in there. And it's like, I just, I would just edit that out. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll disagree on that one. I love that whole scene. I wouldn't change a thing. So other than that, now I'm out of things to say. <laughs> All right, well, I am too, so let's get into our questions. I am Thor, son of Odin, and as long as there is life in my breast, I am running out of things to say. Are you ready? Um, I'm actually going to start with a different question uh, okay. instead of our ratings. Um, what's, your, what's your Quentin breakdown? If you had to rank them, how would you do it? So this is hard. This is really Very hard. hard. Because I was at first, I went with scenes, and there are so many scenes that I just absolutely love. And but then I had to think of the entire movie, and so and so it's like, okay, the entire movie as a whole, how did I, how did I rank these? So my number one was Reservoir Dogs. I think as a complete whole movie, that one's probably my favorite. Okay. So number two is where Inglorious Bastards come in as a whole. That was my my favorite second favorite movie and then right. i got to django um now i'm not as fluent a- in django as i am in the others um i need to watch that again to see if there's there's parts where i don't like that might bring it down but the scenes that i'm picturing i really really enjoy and so but then it got down to pulp fiction which has probably my favorite quentin tarantino scenes but as a movie as a whole, it dropped down the list. So that, wow, that was. So where that, do you have Pulp Fiction? It's four. 
Ugh. Okay. And and I know, and that and that was hard for me because at first I was like, well, clearly Pulp Fiction's number one, and it's like just because there's a few few scenes in there that are the absolute best. But then I tried to put it as an entire complete movie, and that's where it fell down the list for me. Mm, okay. Because there's again, there's that middle hour that I feel <laughs> I could delete, which it feels like an hour. It probably's not that long, but. Um, then I got to the Kill Bills one and two in that order. Uh, Hateful Eight uh, would probably be much higher if it wasn't three hours long. <laughs> it's a long uh, one. I mean, the characters in that are are great. I love Around the Room, um, but it's this three hours, and it did not need to be three hours. Yeah. Um, then Jackie Brown, and then Death Proof. Gotcha. That's yeah. That was my. I break I, down there. I didn't know for sure, but I I figured our bottom three would be the same. Um, maybe not the same order, but the same movies for sure. Um, so I'll start at the bottom. But yeah, I had you know Jackie Brown. Uh, we'll start at the very bottom actually. Death Proof was last. Hateful Eight was next to last, and then Jackie Brown right above it. So I, I knew those three would probably be our bottom three. Um, we have a little bit of a different order, but I haven't seen Hateful Eight twice i've only seen it once in theater and i have not finished death proof so that that speaks to i guess the quality of that movie because the fact that i couldn't or didn't finish a tarantino movie is kind of weird to me yeah and that one i don't i've only seen once uh death proof and i just remember not liking it at all uh, i'd like to see it again just to to log it because i don't remember much of it now that I'm talking about it, but I just watched Hateful Eight yesterday after Inglorious. I did a a double feature, and maybe that hurt my uh, longevity of three hours. Yeah, but no kidding. It, it was uh, is really good, but really slow. Yeah, and that, that's how I remember it from the theater, just being too long. But it has good elements, just just strung out. Yep. Um. So back to the top of my list, I have Pulp Fiction at one. I have The Bastards at two. I have Kill Bill 1 at number 3. I have Reservoir Dogs at 4. Django at 5. Kill Bill 2 at 6. And then the three I mentioned, Jackie Brown at 7. Hateful 8, 8. And Death Proof, 9. That's, that's how I've got my Quentin stacked. But like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, my Quentin list has changed over the years, either when new movies come out or just um, when you when movies just strike you different. And I think late high school, early college, uh, Reservoir Dogs was my favorite. Um, and I think at any point in time, I could probably make a case for any one of my top four. So Pulp Fiction, Bastards, Kill Bill, and Reservoir Dogs. I could probably make an argument that any one of those could be my number one at any given point. And, and I feel the same way about my four, which th- you throw in Django for Kill Bill there. And I think any one of those could be my favorite. Yeah, I could see that. But it's just the, uh, again, cer- certain scenes, like I think there are the best standalone scenes out of any in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But I don't know. I, I say I say I agree with that. But then, oh man, those scenes in Bastards are so good, especially that opening yeah. farm scene. Um, yeah. And there's even scenes in Kill Bill that I have in Reservoir Dogs. I mean, the ear cutting scene in Reservoir Dogs, the fight with That's... the crazy 88s in Kill Bill. I mean, there's so many things. It's so tough to rank Quentin movies. Yeah. And what got me in Kill Bill, though, we don't have to go into Kill Bill. <laughs> no, that's fine. 
<laughs> well, Adam, well, we attack, all... attack on another half hour going to Kill Bill. Yeah, I mean, and you already mentioned my affinity for kung fu movies. So the fact that Kill Bill is basically a modern day kung fu movie, that's, that's where it has a soft spot in my heart. I figured as much. Yep. Okay, so now back to the bastards. What did you rate it and why? I gave it a four and a half. Um, it's very, 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 very close to a five. But, but like you mentioned, that uh, uh, Shoshana Friedrich, you know, middle piece is the only thing that's keeping it from a, a five, I think. Yeah, well, we can pretty much just uh, cut and splice your comments and for mine because, yeah, I'm the same. Four and a half. Uh, I really badly want to give it a five. Uh, there's just, yeah, certain elements that uh, fives for me have to be like an instinctual, like, yep, that's a five. I got it. But with Bastards, I'm like, that's a fantastic movie. I I really even don't want to criticize it, but there's just something there that keeps me from giving it a five. And sometimes it's hard to explain, but that's where Bastards fall. So like if we were splitting hairs, it'd be like a four, seven, five for me, like just super insanely close to a five, just missing that last little touch. Yeah, and if you said no, it's a five star movie. I go, no, I okay. You know, right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight you on that. Like I, I could lean that way too. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but I landed on four and a half. Yep. So your favorite moment? Uh, that opening scene at the farm. I think it's the best scene in the movie. I think it's the best scene, in maybe in. Uh, I won't say it's the best scene in any movie ever made, but like if I was rounding up a list of best scenes of all time that one would be on my list so i went the the bear juice scene that we just talked about with him yeah coming out and and really it's brad pitt in that scene that makes everything just perfect yeah brad pitt kills it in every scene he's in and i feel like he's almost it's so weird that he i feel like he's almost not the focal point of the movie or even in the scene sometimes he's just one of many in the scene but he steals it every time he's in it agreed all right, well, it's one thing you would change. Is it's it the funny. one thing that we both talked about? It, it is. It, okay. Well, no, no. Oh. No, I didn't, I didn't change that. I changed in my favorite scene, which is funny, uh, the, the Hugo. Oh, gotcha, yeah. So I, I changed that part, part of how Got- that was done, not that it was done, just how it was done. Right, right, right. And then I would stick with uh, Shoshana and Frederick's storyline. Again, I'm not saying you delete it. That's not what I'm saying at all. There's just something needs to be different with it and this is the problem with me uh somebody who just watches movies trying to think of something to change in a movie that i just said could be 4.75 or five stars um i'm not smart enough to figure out what exactly i would change about that storyline but uh, something needs to change with it to help it flow a little bit better or give it a little bit of the same intensity or draw that the other kind of offshoot storylines have yeah and i that was on my list but i didn't know how to how to do it in a way that still continued the storyline. And so that's why I, I switched because I can fix Hugo's scene pretty easy. Or you could just leave it alone and it'd be fine. Or fix it and make it great. <laughs> All right. Did you have a casting change for this one? I did. Um, BJ Novak didn't fit. Oh, really? Ah, no. I liked it. No, because he's Ryan from The Office. The Little Man? And Isn't that his nickname? The Little Man. Yes. <laughs> And even when, I mean, I liked that, that part, but I felt like he, again, wasn't the right fit. And so I was looking for a small, um, a small Jewish actor to replace him. And I came up with uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Oh God. <laughs> to be, the, to be the little man. And, and I think that, he could pull off that, that one scene better. And I just, 
BJ Novak just didn't fit. So I throw Harry Potter out there. That was back when Harry Potters were still being made, right? I'm not sure that contractually they would have allowed Harry Potter to go <laughs> <No>. scalping Nazis. <laughs> I don't think so either. I don't think so either. But but that's who I would uh, who I would have put in instead of BJ Novak. Yeah, he just didn't fit. I did, I don't know. I just didn't. I just don't have that perception of him, and still don't. Yeah, and I think that was kind of the point. But that's okay. Um, what about you? So my. Uh, my casting change. I actually thought everybody was cast really well. Um, that's all the way down to BJ Novak, all the way up to Brad Pitt. So I was really scraping the barrel here, and I, I kind of touched on this earlier. But at one point, way back when, there were so many people attached to this: um, Eddie Murphy, Adam Sandler, and this is way back. But one of the things I had heard was that Aldo Rain was going to be Stallone, the Bear Jew was going to be Bruce Willis, and then Hugo Stiglitz was going to be Schwarzenegger. Now I don't like the concept of Stallone or Willis being in this at all. But, and, and I, I love the guy who plays Hugo Stiglitz. Like you said, in that basement scene, he is the looks on his face of just pure rage. And he just is so irritated. It's perfect. But if there's any one of those guys that I would have chosen to stay in this Schwarzenegger as Stiglitz probably could have worked best. So um, again, <laughs> It's a total (laughs) cop out on my part because I actually like all the casting. So I just went for, I remembered these rumors of all these people. And I think that could have been something that worked because Stiglitz doesn't say a whole lot. So you don't get Arnold talking dumb. He just needs to be quiet. But I mean, Arnold stabbing some Nazis in the face would have been a pretty funny scene. Wow. I I don't know if that, I don't think that makes the movie better. Uh, I I love Arnold and you know, I love Arnold, but. I, I, yeah. I, I can see that. <laughs> and again, that that's the problem with these questions sometimes is that we're talking about changing something on like a almost five star movie. And I, I'm struggling because I, I wouldn't even swap out BJ Novak. I mean, I well, that, literally that's why, every, that's why I went all the way down to BJ Novak, you know, <laughs> I mean, what, what is he like 19th billing, you know? And so I, yeah, but look, it, it, I mean, it, took, it took a while for me to find somebody that I would swap out. <laughs> Yeah, but at least I, at least I threw a gamble out there, right? Stiglitz Schwarzenegger. I mean, and it was rumored. Why, why not? Hey, okay. he's German. He's Austrian. Austrian, yeah. Yeah. See? It, Makes it, a little it, bit it, more it. sense the more you think about it. <laughs> All right. What award would you give this movie? Um, well, so I was going back and forth because I at first I had best Tarantino movie. And then when I did my rankings, it wasn't. So the award I gave it was second best Tarantino movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay, you're going to come at me for saying Schwarzenegger <laughs> is stateless, and then you're just going to give an award that says second best Tarantino movie? Second best. You know, you get the, oh. you, you get the silver. That's it's still an that's award. A miserable, that's so miserable. Runner up. Lack of ingenuity there. What would you come up with? Uh, so I actually was going to give it real awards. So this movie only won one Academy Award. It went to Christoph Waltz for best supporting actor. But like we talked about, I would have given him Best Actor. I would have given Brad Pitt Best Supporting. If you look back at the 2010 Academy Awards, so for films in 2009, Best Picture was Hurt Locker, Avatar, Blindside, District 9, and Education, Inglorious Bastards, Precious, A Serious Man, Up, and Up in the Air. So looking at that list, uh, Hurt Locker is a good movie, but you know all these other ones? Inglorious Bastards should have won Best Picture. So I would give it Best Picture 2009, Best Actor in Christoph Waltz, Best Supporting Actor in Brad Pitt, and Best Original Screenplay to Quentin Tarantino. It should have won four Academy Awards. That's what I'm saying I would have given it. 
which I agree with, but you also would have given it the silver medal for Tarantino movies. <laughs> yeah, but that's a terrible idea. <laughs> okay, so last one. If you liked this movie, you would also like... You would also like Django. Ah, uh, we agree on that one. Yeah, I, I, I think it's the closest to Inglorious out of all of his movies. So I think if you liked one, you're going to like the other. Yep. That's exactly the line I was going. I, I could not, to your point earlier, I don't think you can compare. It's very hard to compare Tarantino movies to non-Tarantino movies. So you're looking for similarities between them. Like you like Pulp Fiction, you like Reservoir Dogs, you like Kill Bill 1, you like Kill Bill 2. I think if you're pairing them up, I think Inglorious Bastards and uh, Django Unchained go nicely together. Which I think really hurts Hateful Eight in my mind is because he kind of had this groove of just truly excellent movies. And then Hateful Eight, you kind of expect that same thing. And I felt like it was, it dropped off dramatically. Yeah. Like all the elements are there, I guess, but it just execution wasn't. Yeah. I need to revisit that one. I, I'm curious to see what I think about it. Cause I, a lot of the, what you're saying is what I remember feeling when I walked out of the theater. Yeah. So no, Django, Django's the, if you like this one, go see Django. Yep. All right. Well, I think that does it for this one. Um, thank you, everybody, for voting and choosing. It's nice to, to get a retro in every once in a while, and I think we'll probably keep this up, like Carson said. Next one, we'll probably look at movies that are 15 years old, so go ahead and start looking at some big movies from 2004. I don't know when our next retro is coming up, but we will throw out some options to vote on movies from 2004 make sure you go out to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. We definitely need some of those. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get new episodes downloaded. You can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us at twoviewsmovies at gmail.com. We love talking to everybody. Thanks again for voting, and we will catch you next time. What should we do next? Something good? Something bad? Bit of both? Bit of both?